Chapter Ten of Prince Henry the Navigator, the Hero of Portugal and of Modern Discovery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Prince Henry the Navigator by Charles Raymond Beasley. Chapter Ten, Cape Bojador and the Azores, fourteen twenty-eight, fourteen forty-one. But. In spite of Zarco's success, Cape Bojador had not yet been passed, though every year from 1418 caravels had left Sagres to find the coasts of Guinea. In 1428, Dom Pedro, Henry's elder brother, had come home from his travels with all the books and charts he had collected to help the explorers, and it is practically certain that the Mappa Mundi given him in Venice acted as a direct suggestion to the next attempts on west and south, westward to the Azores, southward towards Guinea. Kept in the royal monastery of Alcobaça till late in the sixteenth century, though now irrecoverably lost, this treasure of Dom Pedro's, like his manuscripts of travel, would seem to have been used at the Sagres school till Prince Henry's death, and at least as early as 1431 its effect was seen in the first Portuguese recovery of the Azores. All the West African islands, plainly enough described in the map of 1428, were half within, half without the knowledge of Christendom, ever and anon being brought back or rediscovered by some accident or enterprise, and then being lost to sight and memory through the want of systematic exploration. This was exactly what the Portuguese supplied. The Azores, marked on the Laurentian Portulano of 1351, were practically unknown to seamen, when, after eighty years had passed, Gonçalo Cabral was sent out from Sagres to find them, 1431. He reached the Formiga group, the Ant Islands, and next year, 1432, returned to make further discoveries, chiefly of the island Santa Maria. But the more important advances on this side were made between 1444 and 1450, after the first colony had been planted twelve or fourteen years, and were the result of the prince's theoretical correction of his captain's practical oversight. From a comparison of old maps and descriptions with their accounts, he was able to correct their line of sail, and so to direct them to the very islands they had searched for in vain. But, as yet these results were far distant, and the slow and sure progress of African coasting toward Cape Bojador was the chief outcome of Pedro's help. In 1430, 1431, and 1432, the infant urged upon his captains the paramount importance of rounding the cape, which had baffled all his caravels by its strong ocean currents and dangerous rocks. At last, this became the prince's one command. Pass the cape if you do nothing beyond. Yet the years went by. King John of good memory died in 1433, and Gil Eanish, sent out in the same year with strong hopes of success, turned aside at the canneries, and only brought a few slaves back to Portugal. 
a large party at court and the army and among the nobles and merchant classes complained bitterly of the utter want of profit from henry's schemes and there was at this time a danger of the collapse of his movement for though as yet he paid his own expenses his treasury could not long have stood the drain without any incoming bojador the pound or bulging cape a hundred eighty miles beyond cape non had been since the days of the laurentian portulano thirteen fifty one and the catalan and portuguese voyages of thirteen forty one and thirteen forty six the southmost point of christian knowledge a long circuit was needed here as at the cape of good hope to round a promontory that stretched men said fully one hundred miles into the ocean where tides and shoals formed a current twenty miles across it was the sight or the fancy of this furious surge which frightened henry's crews for it plainly forbade all coasting and compelled the seamen to strike into the open sea out of sight of land and though the discovery of porto santo had proved the feasibility and the gain of venturing boldly into the sea of darkness and though since that time fourteen eighteen the prince had sent out his captains due west to the azores and southwest to madeira both hundreds of miles from the continent yet in rounding bojador there were not only the real terrors of the atlantic but the legends of the tropics to frighten back the boldest most mariners had heard it said that any christian who passed bojador would infallibly be changed into a black and would carry to his end this mark of god's vengeance on his insolent prying the arab tradition of the green sea of night had too strongly taken hold of christian thought to be easily shaken off and it was beyond the cape which bounded their knowledge that the saracen geographers had fringed the coast of africa with sea monsters and serpent rocks and water unicorns instead of place names and had drawn the horrible giant hand of satan raised above the waves to seize the first of his human prey that would venture into his den if god made the firm earth the devil made the unknown and treacherous ocean this was the real lesson of most of the medieval maps and it was this ingrained superstition that henry found his worst enemy appearing as it did sometimes even in his most trusted and daring captains and then again the legends of tropical africa of the mainland beyond bojador were hardly less terrible than those of the tropical ocean the dark continent with its surrounding sea of darkness was the home of mystery and legend we have seen how ready the arabs were to write uninhabitable over any unknown country dark seas and lands were simply those that were dark to them like the dark ages to others but nowhere did their imagination revel in genies and fairies and magicians and all the horrors of hell with more enthusiastic and genial interest than in africa here only the northern parts could be lived in by man in the south and central deserts as we have heard from the moslem doctors themselves the sun poured down sheets of liquid flame upon the ground and kept the sea and the rivers boiling day and night with the fiery heat 
so any sailors would of course be boiled alive as soon as they got near to the torrid zone it was this kind of learning discredited but not forgotten that was still in the minds of Jules eonis and his friends when they came home in fourteen thirty three with lame excuses to henry's court the currents and south winds had stopped them they said it was impossible to get round bojador the prince was roused he ordered the same captain to return next year and try the cape again his men ought to have learned something better than the childish fables of past time and if said he there were even any truth in these stories that they tell i would not blame you but you come to me with the tales of four seamen who perhaps know the voyage to the low countries or some other coasting route but except for this don't know how to use needle or sailing chart go out again and heed them not for by god's help fame and profit must come from your voyage if you will but persevere the prince was backed by the warm encouragement of the new king edward his eldest brother who had only been one month upon the throne when he bestirred himself to shew his favour to a national movement of discovery king john had died on august fourteenth fourteen thirty three the anniversary of aljubarrota and on september twenty sixth of the same year by a charter given from sintra king edward granted the islands of madeira and porto santo with the desertas to henry as grand master of the order of christ with this encouragement the infant sent out jules in fourteen thirty four under the strongest charge not to return without a good account of the cape and the seas beyond running far out into the open his caravel doubled bojador and coming back to the coast found the sea as easy to sail in as the waters at home and the land very rich and pleasant they landed and discovered no trace of men or houses but gathered plants such as were called in portugal st mary's roses to present to don henry not even the southern cape of tempests or good hope was so long and obstinate a barrier as bojador had been and the passing of this difficulty proved the salvation of the prince's schemes though again and again interrupted by political troubles between fourteen thirty seven and fourteen forty nine the advance at sea went on and never again was there a serious danger of the failure of the whole movement through general opposition and discontent in fourteen thirty five jules eonis was sent out again to follow up his success with afonso baldaia the prince's cup-bearer in a larger vessel than had yet been risked in exploration called a verinel or oared galley the two captains passed fifty leagues one hundred and fifty miles beyond the cape and found traces of caravans reached as far as an inlet they named gurnet bay from its shoals of fish and again put back to lagos early in the year there were still several months left for ocean sailing in fourteen thirty five and harry at once dispatched baldaia again in his verino with orders to go as far as he could along the coast at least till he could find some natives one of these he was to bring home with him baldaia accordingly 
sailed a hundred thirty leagues, three hundred ninety miles, beyond Cape Bochadour, till he reached an estuary running some twenty miles up the country, and promising to lead to a great river. This might prove to be the western Nile of the Negroes, or the famous River of Gold, Baldaya thought, and though it proved to be only an inlet of the sea, the name of Rio Douro, then given by the first hopes of the Portuguese, has outlasted the disappointment that found only a sandy reach instead of a waterway to the mountains of the moon and the kingdom of Prester John. Baldaya anchored here, landed a couple of horses, which the infant had given him to scour the country, and set two young noble gentlemen upon them to ride up country, to look for signs of natives, and if possible, to bring back one captive to the ship. Taking no body armor, but only lance and sword, the boys followed the river to its source, seven leagues up the country, and here came suddenly upon nineteen savages armed with assegais. They rode up to them, and drove them out of the open, up to a loose mound of stones. Then, as evening was coming on and they could not secure a prisoner, they rode back to the sea and reached the ship about the dawn of day. And of these boys, says the chronicler, I myself knew one when he was a noble gentleman of good renown in arms. His name was Eitor Ome, and you will find him in our history well proved in brave deeds. The other, named Lopes de Almeida, was a nobleman of good presence, as I have heard from those who knew him. The first landing of Europeans on the coasts of unknown Africa, since the days of Carthaginian colonies, is one of the great moments in this story of Western expansion and discovery. For it means that Christendom, on her western side, has at last got beyond the first circle of her enemies, the belt of settled Moslem ground, and has begun to touch the wider world outside, on the shores of the ocean, as well as along the eastern trade routes. And it almost seemed to be of little practical value that Marco Polo and the friars and traders who followed him had passed Islam in Asia, and reached even furthest Tartary, for it only made more clear that Asia was not Christian, and that there would have to be a deadly struggle before European influence could be restored on this side to what it had been under Alexander. But on the west, by the Atlantic coasts, when Morocco had been passed, there were only scattered savage tribes to be dealt with. Baudaya had now reached the pagans beyond Islam. The rival civilization of the Arabs and their converts had been almost outflanked by Don Harry's ships, and the boys who rode up the Rio Douro beach in 1435 were the first pickets of a great army. Their charge upon a body of grown men ten times their number was a prophecy of the coming conquests of Christian Europe in the new worlds it was now in search of, in south and east and west. Now Baldaya instantly followed up his pioneers. He took a party in his ship's boat, and rode up the stream to the scene of the fight, with the boys on horseback riding by the bank and shewing him the stone heap where the natives had rallied on the day before. But in the night they had all fled further up country, leaving most of their miserable goods behind. All these were carried off, and the Portuguese left the Bay of the Horses, as they call this farthest reach of the Rio Douro, 
and pulled back to the Verano, without any further success than a wholesome disappointment. They must go farther southward if they were to find the Western Isle and the way round Africa. Still, Baldaya was not content. He wished to carry back a prisoner, as Henry had charged him, and so he coasted along fifty leagues more, from the Rio Douro to the port of Galley, a rock that looked like a galley, where there was a more prominent headland than he had passed since Bojador. Here he landed once again, and found some native nets, made of the bark of trees, but none of the natives who made them. In the early months of 1436, he and his Verino were again in Portuguese waters, but the land had now been touched that lay three hundred miles beyond the old African Finisterre, and in two years, 1434-1436, Portugal and all the Christian nations, through Henry's work, had entered on a new chapter of history. The narrower world of the Roman Empire and the medieval church was already growing into the modern globe, in the break-up of that old terror of the sea, which had so long fixed for men the bounds that they must not pass. The land route had been cleared to Western knowledge, though not mastered, by the Crusades. Now the far more dreaded and unknown waterway was fairly entered. For up to this time there is no fair evidence that either Christian or Moorish enterprise had ever rounded Bojadeau, and the theoretical marking of it upon maps was a very different thing from the experience that it was just like any other cape, and no more an end of the world than Cape St. Vincent itself. Neither Genoese, nor Catalans, nor Normans of Dieppe, nor the Arab wanderers of Idrisi and Ibn Said were before Don Henry now. His discoveries of the Atlantic islands were findings, rediscoveries. His coast voyages from the year 1433 are all ventures in the true unknown. But from 1436 to 1441, from Baldaya's second return to the start of Nuno Tristão and Antão Gonçalves for Cape Blanco, exploration was not successful or energetic. The simple cause of this was the infant's other business. In these years took place the fatal attempt on Tangier, the death of King Edward, and the troubles of the minority of his child, Afonso V, Afonso the African conqueror of later years. True it is, we read in our Chronicle of the Discovery of Guinea, that in these years there went to those parts two ships, one at a time, but the first turned back in the face of bad weather, and the other only went to the Rio Douro for the skins and oil of sea-wolves, and after taking in a cargo of these, went back to Portugal. And true it is, too, that in the year 1440, they were armed and sent out two caravels to go to that same land, but in that they met with contrary fortune, we do not tell any more of their voyage. End of chapter 10